Welcome back to J&J on Sports. I'm sorry it's been a month or just about. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been not since Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. Because the last I one. Yeah. I think my prediction was uh, 31-17 Rams. It didn't quite pull out that way, obviously. Nope. I was pulling, I was pulling for the Bengals, but and they almost made it work, too. They did. There was a few. There was a few iffy calls in that game. One worked for the Bengals. One worked against them. It was a very suspect holding penalty that I think really helped the, the Rams win that Super Bowl um, and extended a drive for them that ultimately gave them the game-winning touchdown. Um, and so, hey, give credit to the Rams. I mean, they, they were very good. They, they, they obviously they were very good. They won the Super Bowl, but they did have some help along the way. I mean, I thought the Bucks could have beaten them. I thought. The Niners should have closed the door on them, and the Bengals had a winnable game as well. But give credit to the Rams; they they oh, won. If the, if the Ram, if the uh, Rams had lost the 49ers, I would have rooted for the 49ers. I agree with you. I probably would have rooted for the 49ers as well. Yeah, well, I tend to have a rule not to root for the AFC unless the Patriots are in it. <laughs> Fair enough. Be- because more often than not, for so many years. The reason the team that was in the, in the Super Bowl for the AFC was because they beat us. So why would you root for the team that just beat you? It's true. But then on the other token, Julian, it's, okay, you lost to the Super Bowl champion. So in a way, it kind of validates the, the losing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but still. I, yeah. Think ever since, I think ever since the first champion, AFC championship that we lost, it was the uh, Peyton Manning comeback. That was I a tough one. That hurt. Oh my gosh, that hurt. Yes, it did. That's actually not what we're here to talk about. But we'll talk about uh, minor things in the NFL later on. First off, it's a shame we're still to talk about this. Oh boy, I now already know game, what you're getting at. Now, now that games been canceled. I was starting to write an article a while back. Now the games are officially gotten canceled. I'm so mad about that. They should have yeah, gone so, right. They should have gone right to the bargaining table at the end of the World Series. No, this wasn't happening. This reminds one of the 2012, the thing in the NHL in 2012. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about the MLB canceling the first two series of the season. And there's more to come, Julian. There's there's no way that oh. the the owners and the players sit down tomorrow because there is. Um, rumor that they're going to sit down tomorrow and talk things out. There's no way they come out with an idea. They're too far apart. The players want ex- uh, players want their certain ramifications, but the owners will not budge. The owners seem to be leveraging the players to get another con- uh, another CBA that they don't really agree with. And I think the owners are very, very stubborn human beings. And it's it's really coming down to the owners just really not giving much. Owners, they're always very stubborn human beings. If they were, if they weren't stubborn, CBA negotiations would take about an hour. Yeah, in all leagues as well, not just yeah, not the just NHL, the, the NFL. The NFL after 2011, the NFL was a lot better. Yeah, agree. Setting things up, but the NHL and the MLB, we should have foreseen this coming after the 2020 mess. But that was. We should have known that we were just in for an encore at the end of 2021. Yep. And you know what? There were there were people out there that did predict this to happen because they saw what was happening in 2020. People wanted to blame COVID, but more so it was just about money. And much like this issue is just about money. People saw it in 2020 and said, well, it's not going to be any different two years down the road. You're going to have all the same owners. You're going to have all the same players. And that's what happened. No, no ownership changed except for me. I don't even know if there was one, maybe one or two, but not it enough. To Miami, Miami general manager, but she's not an owner. Right. So, so maybe, maybe zero. And so there wasn't any change in ownership, meaning there was no sway in how things would go because the owners run the show. If they don't want to give what they want to give, then the players have to suffer. And they have, and I mean, I feel bad for the players in a way. Because they obviously want to get out there and just play the game and obviously earn some money, but those players who don't make enough are, are really struggling right now. They have one of the best jobs ever 
mm-hmm. they get to play baseball for six months out of the year and get paid to do it. You're right about that. There's You're right about that. Best, you have one of the best jobs ever. You're right about that. But here's the thing. There are players that there, there is a huge pay gap in the in the MLB. Like the, the the minimum contract is very very minuscule compared to the highest played highest paid players in the league. Where there's more of a close gap when you look at the NHL um, and you look at other sports. I mean, the NFL. I'm pretty sure their minimum contract is a little bit more than the MLB. The MLB, I think, is around what five hundred thousand. Julian, correct me if I'm wrong. Something like that. Yeah. So something along that line. I I do anything for half a million dollars a year. Me too. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They're still making a lot of money, but there. I mean, the gap is a big gap. The way they're fighting, you'd think that they were fighting not to make minimum wage. (laughs) You're right. Or you know, less than minimum wage. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It still is billionaires versus millionaires, but the players are at a big disadvantage in this argument, and and that's why they're not, and that's why the owners are not budging because they know that they have all the leverage. What I wish that they would get, what I wish that they would understand is they're complaining about how how they don't have the money. The irony of that is they're going to lose more money the longer they draw their doubt. True. Do they not understand that especially down in the minors, fan attendance is what drives a lot of their income. Mm-hmm. Ironically, by fighting about income, they're going to be losing it because diehards like myself and presumably you will will stick it out for mm-hmm. three, four months if we have to. Other people, especially those who are new to the game and who are more used to fast-paced stuff, will not. They'll go and find other stuff to do. Absolutely. You're right. You're 100% right on that, Julian. But how, But here's the thing. Why is that a player problem? You know, that should be the ownership trying to create interest. You know, that's not on the players so much as it is on the owners. It, that would be my argument to, to drawing fandom. And they have such a product right now. They have so many assets that they can use. They have so many young players. The first one I can think of is Fernando Tatis. Yes, San Diego. Yep. He is the number one driving money factor right now on the West Coast. And that that's above Otani, who is a huge asset to the MLB as well. But I think um, yeah, Fernando Tatis is more player. marketable. Yeah. I think, yeah. But I think Tatis is more marketable because I think he has an actual a great personality and, and the young kids love him. Yeah. And he's all, pretty much all the Padres have right now. No then, way you know what? They should have more, though. They should have more. Yeah, because there's no way that they can compete with the Dodgers in the West. Right. They can come, they can come close, but the Dodgers are going to be around for a while, especially when Mookie is in what the third or fourth year, thirteen year deal. Right. So it's not like he's going anywhere. I wish that we would get him back, but we won't. No. Plus, we've got plus we've got the outfielders for our future. We've already got, we got Jackie Bradley Jr. back, what, two days before the lockout? Yep. It was right before. We finished the trade from, we sent Hunter Renfro out to Milwaukee and got Jackie back. Yep. So our outfield is set, just like their entire lineup is set for like the next 10 years. Agreed. Agreed. So they've got so much going for them. And that should allow fans to come to the ballpark in droves. Because people will never get tired of watching those people play, especially the Padres, who haven't had anything go right for them in decades. But the Padres they, have a, the Padres have a lot of talent to compete with the Dodgers. And so for from your for your point, Julian, to just piggyback on that, Dodgers versus Padres will be a great product. Yeah, like for the uh, NL Crown. Not even that, but they're in the same division. Yeah, they're in the same division. Yeah, not just the NL West crowd. I mean the pennant. Right. And so, I mean, that would be a rivalry and a half for a while, you would think. Oh, yeah. This this would be like the uh, 
Red Sox Yankees, except without all the blood. Right. And if we hadn't gotten rid of Mookie Betts, it would be even better. Oh, because yeah. Because Yankees have a fairly young lineup. We have a very young and powerful lineup. Oh, yeah. We got a bunch of bats. Yeah. So the Yankees, obviously. We knew that. Bronx Bombers. They've always been. They've always been pretty. They've always been fairly good. What I don't understand is why Baltimore has all of these young pieces, yet still finishes with 100 losses every single year. Well, they can't draft. But, hey, that's another proposal. Going back to the lockout, because that's what we're talking about. That's another thing that the MLB is going to try to chop down on, by the way. Tanking. That's the, so the, 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 I, I, think it was, I think it was the players that proposed anti-tanking sanctions against the MLB and the owners, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, because there comes a point at which some teams say, you know, we're 34 and 75, we're not going anywhere. What's the point of winning any more games? And you see 10-game losing streak. When you see it at the beginning of the year, that's one thing. Like with the 88 Baltimore Orioles, where they lost the first 21 games. That was one thing. But when you're 50 and 64, and then you go on to lose, you know, 17 of your next 20, right. you know that that's tanking. Because you can't Absolutely. possibly be anywhere near that. No. Yeah, and, and, and the um, it's almost cheap in a way to, to tank because there's profit sharing in the MLB, meaning that everyone kind of pulls their money together and evenly distributes it among franchises. So you can lose 130 games. That's fine. You can have 10 people go to a game every game. You're still making money. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we'll never see anything as bad as fighting. Right. Right. But that's why tanking is okay in the MLB right now, or the owners are okay with it because they're still making X amount of money because of this profit sharing. Yo, when the Cleveland Indians just go off on a little tangent here, when the Cleveland Indians decided to change their name to the Guardians, they were looking up all of their names that they were looking at, and one of them was Spiders. They did a double take. No, no one. You don't want to be them. You don't want to be the Spiders. If anybody. If you read any baseball history, if the Clevelanders read their baseball history, they wouldn't want to be named the Spiders. Yeah, no. They have the single worst record ever. That was back when there were 154 games. I know there aren't people like Connie Mack who led his Philadelphia Athletics to title after title after title back in the day. Mm-hmm. But you can't be that bad. You just can't. No. You can't be that bad, and you can't be making as much, or not as much, but you can't be making a reasonable amount of money when the teams like the Yankees are selling out every game, the Red Sox are selling out every game, and the Red Sox have to fork over money to teams that are losing 120 games. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, going back to the agenda, now that games have been canceled, when should we reasonably expect to stop back at it? So my guess, Julian, would probably be right around Memorial Day. I know that that was was my guess. Go ahead. Yeah. And so I I would think right around Memorial Day. I mean, it's late May. It's actually a pretty ideal time because the weather is going to be nice. Um, It would be a nice time for opening day. Um, I think I think that'll be when realistically the owners and the players kind of shoot for in terms of because they have to do a full spring training still. They got to get ready. I'm thinking Memorial Day is is we're going to have. They're going to have a flurry of trades. When they finally get around to doing something, dealing something, mm-hmm. signing the deal, they're going to be going crazy, trying to finalize their actors, trying to get back to the ballpark, sell all the tickets, convince people to come back to the game. Yep. And let's not forget, Julian, there's a lot of stars still in the free agent market. Kyle Schwarber coming to mind. Yeah, that's another... That's another one. This is why I say there's going to be a frenzy when they finally do get their heads together and come up with something. Yeah, and that'll be an exciting time for the MLB because there will be a lot of teams already having pretty much deals on the obviously on the back burner right now, but close should be close to having some deals with some players right now. Mets, Mets, we we knew before the lockout that the Mets were really going to try to make a splash this off season. So keep an eye out for them. This is Saturday, March 5th. 
So I'm thinking if they wanted to uh, finish the spring training by by May and get the season started around May 27th, let's say, the Friday before Memorial Day, I'd say that a deal has to be reached somewhere around what would have been Marathon Monday, the yeah. early game for the Red Sox. Somewhere between the 11th and the 18th. They got to figure out. They got to get together, knock their heads together, and say we got to get something done. Cause I think that's a good time. Fighting, fighting is not appealing. Fighting no. on the ice and hockey is appealing, but different, fighting different. the lawyers, fighting in Florida, not so much. Over playing, yeah, not yeah, so, not fighting fun. over playing. They don't understand. But the more they fight over playing, the fewer games they're going to play. Yep. They're already, down to, they're already down to 156. Yeah. So what is a reasonable compromise, do you think, for them? For them to wise up and yeah. finally sign the CBA? It's really hard for me to say because they're so far apart right now, and I honestly don't know all the numbers or even what all the parameters they're arguing over. What I would like, Julian, I can tell you what I would like. I would like to see the players get some of their needs satisfied. You know, it's not fair that that the owners kind of have all the pull right now. It's it doesn't it doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Thirty guys are yeah. are having all the say over thousands of players. And one thing I will say is I hope they do not cut down on the miners because that's been a rumor that they're going to cut down on like a hundred jobs per team or per organization, which turns out to be like. Hey. 3,000 people. Yeah, they did that in um, 2020, but I can see why, because minor attendance is what drive, drives the minor leave and keeps it going. Mm-hmm. But when there's no attendance, when you can't attend games, you can't play games. Yeah, it's just sad to see 3,000 jobs get cut and 3,000 livelihoods be crushed, you know? You know... I think that the things that matter the most, because what you hear about the most, is single A, double A, and triple A. If they want to slash the minors, everything up to single A, they can conceivably get rid of. Because who who's heard of anything lower than single A? Mm, fair enough. So we're under the Bruins now. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be playing later tonight uh, at a regular time. Thank God. Thank God, Julian. They had me up late. They had me up late for the past few weeks. Yeah, you got to go. We got to have time to go to sleep and rest before the next game because they just had, after the Avalanche game, they had Seattle, San Jose, LA, Ducks, and Golden Knights. All I'm hearing is. No sleep, no sleep, no sleep, no sleep, no sleep. Yeah. And we historically we do not do well on the on the West Coast, but we did pretty well. I'd have to say. Yeah, we the did. Only te- it- the only team we went four and one, including Vegas. Mm-hmm. We went four and one on this trip. Went over the Kraken in overtime. Went over the Sharks. Went over the Kings. Seven to nothing. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that was a great game. Oh my gosh, the Kings who won the Stanley Cup twice in three years. Yes, they and, did. And now, seven to nothing does not look like a Cup contender to me. No, but this is the first time they're going to be in playoff contention since 2018. So they're making strides in the right direction, the Kings. But yeah, they're yeah, still. They're making- they're making strides, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a cup contender. No. And then the Ducks. We should have beaten the Ducks. We should have beat the Ducks, and we should have at least gotten a point. Trevor Zegers yeah, scored have. a game-winning goal with 20 seconds left. Yeah, I would have I would have been happy with an overtime loss, the way we played out in Anaheim. If we had managed to hold them steady for another 30 to 35 seconds, yeah. And then lost in the first minute of overtime. I would have been happier with that than giving up the game-winning goal with, what, 25 seconds, 20 seconds left? Well, you know what they say. One's always better than zero. Yep. And then a 5-2 win out in Las Vegas. 
That's right. That was so. That was one of the most complete games I've seen for the Bruins all season. I will speak on that just briefly, but their defense and their goaltending was was very very good. And obviously, you got good scoring from some depth players. Craig Smith obviously scoring a hat trick. And then if you go back all the way to uh, the Kings game that we mentioned earlier, Jake DeBrus scored a hat trick as well. So we're getting some depth scoring right now, and I like to see that. Well, we're finally getting depth scoring. The LA Kings game, what was fun was that that game was over by the end of the second. Five to nothing, you're not, you're not coming back from five to nothing. No, the game was over midway through the second, good Julian. And four nothing, four even nothing. four nothing, you're not coming back from. Yeah, three nothing is one thing. Three nothing, three goal comeback we've composed us, the good side, us against Toronto, and on the bad side, Philadelphia back in Yeah, we don't want to go there. Yeah, we don't want to go there. Nobody wants to go there. At least we won the Stanley Cup the next year, so we could forget about that. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, comp, I would say. And we've got some, uh, we got some pretty easy ones coming up in the next two weeks. Oh, great. So we're going to lose. Right. So after the Jackets, we've got the Kings again on Monday. Then Chicago, Coyotes. We can't beat the Coyotes. We have no business being in the playoffs. We can't beat them here. Yeah, just pack it up. Yeah. Then we have in Chicago, in Minnesota, in Winnipeg, and then Montreal. If we can't beat Montreal, we should just go home now. Pack that up as well. Yep. No, I agree with you. But here's the thing. So these are winnable games, and this is going to be a huge jumping point for you to go get some assets for this trade deadline because if you can start acquiring points against minor or against teams that are below you really they're just not as good as you and you start acquiring points and you're 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 you have a good cushion and it looks like you're going to make the playoffs now you go now you go get that second line center that we've wanted all all season long julian now you go get that uh top four defenseman who plays on the left side someone who can really really play some heavy minutes because it's now or never for this bruins team yeah, because that core of Marchand and Bergeron in particular, those aren't going to stick around long. Pasternak can stick around for a few more years. Yeah, so Pasternak, here's the thing, though, Julian. If, if if Bergeron retires at the end of the year, which seems to be, it might happen. Rumblings are starting to rise. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of up in the air. Yeah, and, and so Pasternak's contract is up at the end of 2023. So if Bergeron retires and we have a bad year next year, there's no guaranteeing that Pasternak will be back. No. Then we'd have to start completely all over again. That would be probably like what happened when the Bruins of the 70s stepped out. You know, Bobby Orr, Kem Neely. Yeah, it was nice that they drafted a guy kind of uh, in 1979 by the name of Ray Bork to kind of help that out. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, Ray Bork never hosted the Cup. Bobby Orr did twice, but... Ray Bork never did with us. He did with Colorado. I know, but... Doesn't count in your mind? Yeah, it doesn't count. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah, because it's not... Because it's not hanging in the rafters of garden. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Alright. So those are some usually winnable games, and... And we'll talk about the rest of the schedule later on. When yeah, comes, but like I said, like I said, they have a chance to get uh, a bunch of wins in a row and really, really move up in the standings, or even just solidify themselves in the in the standings and, and, and ensure that they're going to make the playoffs. So if that happens, they should get some some pieces to to make a playoff run here. Yeah, I'm hoping. If I look at the schedule right here, you've seen the standings, right? If you go to ESPN, yep, you can see how far how far ahead we are. Yeah, I think we're 13 points up on Columbus, who we play tonight, who is the fur- who is the nine seed right now. And we're three up on Washington, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we are so... We are so far up. We are... Here we go. Current NHL matchup. We would be playing Tampa Bay if the season started today, if the playoff started today. All right, well, never mind. Don't trade for anybody, because you're going to lose in five games regardless. Hey, we're not we're not eighth. Washington's eighth. We are three points up on the Capitals. The Capitals have sixty-seven points. We have seventy. Yep. 
And then Columbus that we're playing tonight is trailing Washington by nine. Right. So they have um, 58 points. Yeah, 58 points with 27 games left to go. Yeah, with 27 games left to go, including today. You got to be a heck of a got to be a heck of a fan. You think Wit I had for coming back after losing some of the playoff series that we lost like Carolina and Philly. Both heartbreakers. Yeah. But Montreal is 14-34-7. And ironically, Julian, they've been playing a lot better. It's funny. I think yeah, that since Martin St. Louis has Martin St. Louis um, joined as a head coach of the Montreal Canadiens, I believe they have a winning record, which tells you how bad that team was before him. <laughs> yeah, and Martin St. Louis, he hasn't been out of their league that long. We remember him playing. The two of us. Yeah, isn't that playing. scary? Yeah. No, what's scary is that there's a team that's worse than Montreal. <laughs> Yeah, and they're they're about to be in a three thousand person arena next year, which is even more embarrassing. Arizona, fifteen thirty five and four, thirty four points trailing Nashville by thirty. I'm about to strip their credentials of the NHL. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? They were top that they might have that they might move out of uh, Arizona at one point. They should have. Yeah, they should have. The least is up on the Gila River Arena at the end of the year. Yep. They're quite insistent that they will stay in Glendale or Phoenix. I don't but even that, understand it. Why? I don't understand why you would do that considering you've moved out of Atlanta two times and you, you had a short leash on the Thrashers. They're only there for about 10 what years you, before you What are you talking up. about? No, 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 no. The Thrashers went to Winnipeg and became the Jets. That's what I'm saying. And so you, you, you had a short leash on the Thrashers. They only played there for about 10 years, and then you moved them out. Why oh, yeah. Do, why does uh, Phoenix have a longer leash than Atlanta, is my point. Yeah, that makes sense. There were talks they would have moved them to Oakland at one point. There was talks they would have moved them to Oakland. That would have been fine. Hey, they would have uh, brought back the, uh, the California Golden Seals. Yeah. Well, that's an old name. I don't understand them moving to Oakland. Oakland already has a baseball team. Mm-hmm. I know San Francisco. San Francisco has a baseball team and a football team and a basketball team. But you know what else they also have? A stadium that can hold a hockey team. Mm-hmm. Oakland doesn't have that. San Francisco does. They have the they have a stadium there that holds the Golden State Warriors, which means they can build ice over that over that uh, court, just like we can do here at TD Guys. Yep. And Golden State used to play in Oakland. They moved over to San Francisco a couple of years ago. So um, Oakland was where um, the Warriors played. I don't know if they knocked that stadium down. So, yeah, you might be right about that. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that they play in San Francisco. Let's see. Golden, Golden State does. Yep. Golden State Warriors Stadium is Oracle Arena. Oh, Chase Center. San Francisco, California. Yep. Used to be called the Oracle Arena a while back. Mm-hmm. But now it's called the Chase Center. And yeah, it's in San Francisco. That's not bad. That's a good place to build a new fan base, isn't it? Definitely. They already have a bunch of teams out there. They have the Giants. They have the 49ers. They have yeah. the Golden State Warriors. Why not just put the Coyotes there? And you know what? We we have seen success with California hockey teams. The Kings have a big following. The Kings, have they sell out almost every game. And so it wouldn't be far. And there, there have been players that have come. From California, Kevin Miller comes to mind. So it's it's not a bad hockey market. No, that would be such a money maker. You see how many people are in California. How right. many of those people can be converted into hockey hockey fans? A lot of them. A lot. Las Vegas didn't have a hockey team until seventeen, and they loved the Golden Knights there. They right. tried. They're trying to do it with Seattle. Seattle has not been as nearly as 
that movie, Golden Knights of Ben. God, no. Trouble. You know, I've heard that it's unfair. It would be unfair if the Golden Knights had won their first championship the first year that they played because they got to handpick from everybody else. But look, so did the Kraken, and look what that got them. They're so awful. The Kraken's draft strategy, expansion draft strategy, made zero sense. I've been over this a lot, but they picked players that weren't even talented. No, they took, when uh, the Golden Knights started playing, they took any the best people that they could who weren't protected. They probably would have gotten Bergeron if we hadn't protected him. Absolutely. Bergeron. Yep. They would, have, they would have taken, uh, they would have taken him in a moment. The difference between the two franchises, Julian, was that Vegas picked players to win then, like now, right then and there. And they almost did. And and Seattle picked players that they want, ideally, to win in a few years, although I don't even know if that's going to happen right now. I don't know. No, you can't possibly go from a team that bad right. to winning in a year. Right. Not a chance. Not in your life. Agreed. But Nobody I will can. say... For Vegas, there probably was pressure to win right then and there because they were a brand new hockey market. Vegas isn't really seen as a, a well. If they if they're terrible, there's a hundred million other. Th- My point is, if they're bad, if they were bad, then there's a hundred million other things to do in, in Las Vegas. So how are you going to bring fans to the Vegas? You got to have a winning product, and so they had to get the best players right then and there, and it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. If they if they had played, say, the Rangers instead of Washington, they probably would have won. If they played anyone else in Washington, even Tampa Bay, I think they would have they would have won the uh, the I almost said World Series. I was talking about baseball, the Stanley Cup. Yeah, not necessarily. Tampa Bay is really very good too. Tampa Bay is far better than Washington is now. Yeah, and Washington has people like Kuznetsov and Oshie and Ovechkin. Hmm. Yeah. But Tampa Bay, that was who Washington played in that conference final, and it went seven games, and Washington was able to pull it out. So it's it's uh, it's unbelievable how 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 long Tampa Bay has been knocking on the door of winning Stanley Cups. I mean, they made the finals in 15, 16, they were right in the conference final against Pittsburgh, 17, they lost, 18, conference final against Washington, game game seven, 19, they obviously lost to Columbus, but then 20 and 21, they win the Stanley Cup, and this year, who knows? Yeah, well. When they uh, played Columbus in uh, Toronto, that was that's going to be that's going to go down in history as one of the greatest playoff games ever. I can't believe five, that our game got, yeah that game that our game got pushed off to the next morning because yeah. they still hadn't had a winner like five hours after they started the game. Six that is hours. a franchise record, Julian. That will never be broken. The earliest playoff start time: eleven a.m. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 11 a.m. Yeah, but that was an extenuating circumstance. That was, oh my, that was suddenly they realized, oh my gosh, we can't make them start play. They're going to make, they're going to start play at like midnight. Right. The ironic thing is, is they finally pushed off our game. And then, they just uh, Tampa won in about 10 minutes. That's the way that it was going to go. Fin- yeah, they finally pushed off our game. They finally gave up, sent everybody back to the hotel, and they won probably before they got on the bus. That was the most 2020 thing that happened to us that year. Yeah, that's true. Okay, let's see. Okay, I know we're not done. We're not done. Did you right. see what uh, Tim Peel, who, for those who don't know, he's a referee, said, I did about, see Mark, said about Mark Shifley? Yes. That, that's not good. He was the same guy who was caught on a hot mic, in essence, saying that he was rigging the game. Yes, he, uh, that was him. And so, do you have the tweet up, Julian? What? Do you have the tweet up? Do you know what he said? No, but I can. In essence, I basically basically what he said was, "I have no respect for Mark Shifley. What he did to uh, I, I forget yeah. the name. Good is zero respect for Mark Shifley. What he did to Jake Evans last year was brutal. He never had any respect for the officials either. Way to go, Chris Weidman. 
And then he has at the bottom of that comment the video of Mark Shifley fighting Chris Weidman. Yeah, obviously Weidman takes him down. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Mark Shifley had a big cheap shot on who was the other player? Oh, I don't know. They just show the... Oh, Jake Evans. Jake Evans. So Jake Evans was scoring a goal into the empty net against the Winnipeg Jets. Mark Shifley flattened Evans, knocked him out cold. He was unconscious on the ice. They had to escort him out on a stretcher. Um, but the game was over. Shifley, uh, uncalled for cheap shot. He got suspended many games for it. And so that is what Tim Peel is referencing when he is talking about that. So apparently he's uh, like... Uh... What was the name of the NFL referee with the hot mic? The Tony Coente. Oh, yeah. Like the Tony Coente of the NHL. Yep. <laughs> it was so funny that the sensors on that telecast didn't catch. And he actually I know. said what he said. And they said, oh, well, I'm sorry we didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> and we were... T- on to the next thing. We were talking about the last night in tech that John Cooper was taught. You can say what you said, but it was, oddly enough, the first one since John Cooper was That's taught right. last year, against, uh, a couple years ago, against Boston. Yes. So John Cooper obviously getting ejected the other night against Pittsburgh. This is not the first time that's happened. The last coach to get ejected in an NHL hockey game was John Cooper on March 7th, 2020 against the Bruins. Ironically, the last game before the COVID stoppage for the Bruins. Um, a, I think it was a 5-3 to three loss. And um, it was a good game. There was a massive fight, and that's why Cooper got ejected because he wasn't happy with what the Bruins were doing to his players. Yeah, it's really rare to see a, a coach get tossed. I remember Klon got tossed once. I, so I, I mentioned that to one of my buddies because he was like, I don't think I've ever seen that before. But I, I, I recollected, I said, I, I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, Claude Julian has also gotten thrown out of a game. So thank you for confirming that for me. Oh, you know, you know who else was? Uh, Mr. The guy who used to coach the duck. Bruce Boudreau? Yeah, Bruce Boudreau. Oh, boy. He's an angry man. Oh, my gosh. You remember that? The... Duck scores. The referees got together and called it back. He stood in the open doorway <laughs> of his bench and started screaming at the ref. Oh my you know, gosh! I'd never, I'd never seen anything like that from an NHL coach. And Julian, there has to be, there has to be tape of John Tortorella getting thrown out of games. I'm thinking he's been at least thrown out twice. Oh, he's got. He's got to be, but I don't remember him getting thrown out of a balloon game. No, me neither. But John Tortorella, if anyone doesn't know, is one of the most fiery NHL coaches you will ever hear or see. Um, and so there would be absolutely no surprise at all from me if he had been ejected in a hockey game. Oh, yeah, here we go. Six minutes of John Tortorella getting angry. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's a compilation I'll have to watch later. Yep. I'm going to share that with you in the in the chat feed so that okay. you can so that you can see he's gotta this has gotta be one has to be an ejection. At a six minute, it can't possibly be just in the locker room. Right. There you go. Right, I received it. Yep. That has to be fun. I've seen uh, youth coaches get taught before. That's quite I, a... It happens a lot in, in the youth programs. I don't know what it is, but... Well, I saw a goalie get taught once. Really? Oh, my gosh. He got mad at the official and swore at him. And the official went, yeah, that's enough out of you. <laughs> game misconduct? It was, yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was a, um, a JV game, actually. Wow. Must have been a young kid. Yeah, like 15, 16 years old. And he cursed at the referee and said, yeah, that's enough. 
Wow. The coach almost went with him, by the way. He was so angry. I thought he was going to. So, before he went on the IR, Charlie's on the IR now, but he did break the record for games played. I didn't even know he was on IR. That's actually, that that hurts his chances of being traded, obviously. Yeah, Chug, when I was compiling this list of stuff to talk about today, today he was put on IR by New York, and Wolderspoon was called up. Yeah, so obviously Chug... Retroactive to February 26th, game against Los Angeles. Wow. And they called somebody up from from AHL Bridgeport. From Bridgeport in the AHL. Mm-hmm. So, but, I yeah. mean, obviously, obviously we talked about Char having the most played games as a defenseman. Um, he broke Chris Chelios' all-time record, who was a Montreal Canadian for 37 years, and then a uh, Blackhawk yeah. for another 23. And so, um, it's Are you pretty significant. He played for 50 years? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, he has Barry Trott, the head coach for New York, has a lower body injury, is what he said Char has. Mm-hmm. Course, unfortunately, they're not as descriptive as the NFL is. The NFL is very descriptive when it tells you. They tell you exactly what happened. Right. So, towards ACL, has a concussion. Exactly. All the NHL tells you is lower body injury. That can mean anything. That I know, it's very, it's a, very, very vague. Yeah, it can mean a sprained ankle. It can mean a broken hip. It can mean so much as a bruised toe. Yep. No, hockey players do not take take days off for food. So look at uh, look at them playing with a broken leg. <laughs> You're right about that. It was amazing. Although there was that one game with uh, Chris Kelly who stepped on the ice two minutes into the game and broke his leg. Yep. Assistant he coach uh, Chris Kelly. Yeah, Chris Kelly. I, I've watched the video over and over again. I still can't figure out how he did it. I don't know either. That was a big loss at the time, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that was a six to nine month recovery. Mm-hmm. That was it. What year was that? Was that 2014? No, it had to have, no, it was 2015. It was November 3rd, 2015. Okay. And, uh, yeah, 2015 in a game yeah. in Dallas. We could have used them that year. We only missed the playoffs by two points. Yeah, we just barely, because of our loss to Tampa on the last night of the year. Yep. We missed out on the playoffs. Okay, last but not least, we switch over to football. Little football tidbit. Yep. Do you think the Patriots will go after Robbie Anderson of the... uh, of the Carolina Panthers. There's That's rumors. the rumor right now. That's the rumor is that not only are they going after him, but it's very, very close to happening. Um, if that does happen, I'm very intri- intrigued to see how that plays out for the Patriots. Obviously, he's a bit of a deep threat. Um, the idea would be to acquire Robbie Anderson and then somehow get rid of the contract of Aguilar. Now, whether or not they would have a one-for-one trade of Nelson Aguilar and Robbie Anderson, that's remained to be seen. Yeah, or if they true. would just acquire Robbie Anderson and then go ahead and cut Nelson Aguilar. No, I think that the you go with trade Anderson, trade Aguilar to trade Aguilar to Carolina, mm-hmm. and they're not going to let him go. They're not going to turn him down because he was a Super Bowl champion for Philadelphia back in eighteen. He was. He wasn't very good for Philadelphia, though. Remember that. But he had a very good year with the. Um, I almost said the Athletics with the Raiders. When they were, <laughs> when they were when they, yeah, and so um, he had a very good year with the with the Raiders. I thought last year he didn't really get a lot of targets. I think if, with another year in the in the system, he might have had another chance. But it looks like they're already giving up on him. So he had a big contract, and it didn't work out. Yeah, but now they need to build around Jones. Exactly, so they're poaching people 
they're poaching people who are with Newton and trying to build around Jones. And that's what they should do. The NFL draft is coming up in about a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. And what they need to do is get a bunch of tight ends. The two things they need to do. Get a receiving core, number one. Get a fresh receiving core. You're starting all over. Get a fresh receiving core to build around Jones. And get better offensive linemen to protect him because he got sacked an awful lot this year. That's why he threw so many interceptions. That's why he panicked so much. Mm-hmm. His offensive line collapsed on him. Yeah, his offensive line was very hit or miss this season, Julian. So what I would do this in this draft is I would go ahead and sign free agents that are wide receivers. Amari Cooper being one. There's other wide receivers on the free agent market as well. Um, but Amari Cooper comes to mind because he's a dynamic wide receiver who can change games. Calvin Ridley being another. He wants to be traded out of Atlanta, so that's another possibility for the Patriots. But what I would do in the draft, Julian, is get offensive line because there's you're not going to be able to trade for offensive linemen in this NFL. It just doesn't happen, and usually the free agents are not very good. So draft offensive line. Now the question is, do we still see Stidham as a reliable backup? Eh, no, nope. he's never been a reliable backup. But then it becomes that question. There's seven rounds of draft. Do we use one of those picks on nurturing a backup or do we trade for a backup? Good question. Um, if you go in rounds five through seven, I'm fine with you taking a backup. That's fine by me as long as you are committed to making sure that he is formidable as a backup. If you trade or sign a free agent um, as a backup, I'm also fine with that. Just someone who can come in and play a couple games if need be, because obviously with this offensive line, it's very possible uh, Mac Jones could get hurt um, this season. You're going to need a quarterback to step in and win you a game or two. And and, and I don't know if Jared Stidham is that guy. Yeah, and you need, going back to the offensive line, I think that if Jones had thrown as many interceptions. He got named the Pro Bowl. If he hadn't thrown as many interceptions, and if he had a little more confidence, instead of, what were we, 10 and 7? We could have been, you know, 13 and 4, 12 and 5. There were several games in that. We could have easily. We could have won easily. We could have beaten. Like, we could have beaten Dallas. We could have beaten Tampa Bay. I mean, those two right away. Miami, Miami being another. Oh boy, wouldn't it be something if we had beaten Tampa Bay? That would have been our Super Bowl. No, I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. I'm talking about the game. No, I know. I'm just saying hypothetically, that would have been our Super Bowl win of the season if we. If yes, we had that beat. would have been. A, that would have been a career-defining moment right there. I know Mac Jones is young. Mm-hmm. I know he's only 23. But that would be something you'd hold on to for the rest of his life because he's never known an NFL without Tom Brady. Right. So to beat that guy would have had a career achievement right there. Mm-hmm. I know he's probably got 15 years left in him, but still. <laughs> so, so we're playing Cincinnati next year. That'll so we be got to go far Yeah. Joe Burrow, who nearly won the Super Bowl. That'll be fun. That'll be a fun game. And it's an away game. The last time we played, I remember the uh, the 2013 game that we played, there was an away game against Cincinnati. We beat them that? Yeah, we beat them pretty good, right? Oh, no, we lost that one. They almost won. Which one was that? The game where Cincinnati took the lead, and then just as Brady came on for the comeback, it started pouring and pouring and pouring. And I think he threw an interception at the very end. He was just about ready to have the comeback, and he threw an interception at the very end. In 2019, they kicked the living daylights out of them, but... In 2013, they stopped, the Bengals stopped Brady's touchdown streak. you remember that? Oh, yes, I do now. Yep. And, like, how many games in a row did he have before, uh, before like, throwing zero touchdowns? 
52, wow. something like that. Benjavik Green Allard. Benjavik Green Allard was the only one to get into the end zone that day. What was the final score? 13 6. So, yeah, it was a very, very low scoring game. But, yeah, from ESPN, just before the Patriots took the ball for the last time, it started pouring, and Pac-Man Jones picked Brady off at the goal line. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, no. the five, Yeah, inside the five, Pac-Man Jones took the, picked off the ball. Wow. And that was it for that. Must, yeah, our offense was really, not very good that season, I remember. You know, they won. The home opener was won kind of by accident. That was against the Jets. That was another game where it poured and poured during the entire second half. I remember that, actually. It was really ugly. Kimbrell oh Tompkins God. and uh, Josh Boyce and all those wide receivers. Yeah, and they almost, they almost blew it. That's right. And then Geno Smith threw an interception with about 30 seconds left to go. And then there were two people thrown out because Mangold jumped into the interceptor as he was going out of bounds. He jumped into his leg. Right. Oddly enough, uh, Willie Colon and Brickenshaw Ferguson were the ones who were thrown out, not Mangold, because they threw punches. Nobody else did. Right, right, right. I remember that now. <laughs> I guess my dog is entering the scene. Sorry, Bella. No so happy. You're going to have to move. No. <laughs> Not much though. Right. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, that was not a fun game to watch. There was serious, there was concerns that the game could get delayed because there was a thunderstorm that tried to move in right around the end of the third quarter. Middle to the end of the third quarter, it started to thunderstorm tried to push its way right over Gillette. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. This has been Julian Susan, Joe Rice for J&J on Sports. Hopefully we'll get another episode done before, you know, a month has passed like we did this time. <laughs> yep. Yep. We'll see you later. All right. Thanks, Julian. I'll see you later. Bye.